Welcome to Game Theory and Money in the Offseason as we get ready for the NFL Draft. A wave of trades, speculation, free agent signings that we must analyze. And by we, I mean the big brain on my left. Advanced degrees from prestigious universities, not mentioning canvassing the nation coast to coast to chop it up with some of the biggest names when it comes to coaches and front offices. Cynthia Freeland, uh, I am Matt Money-Smith, but really we're all about Cynthia because, Cindy, you're the one that uh, managed to take a coast-to-coast flight to sit down with a lot of uh, fancy folks, dig into their brains, uh, what makes their front office tick, their coaching style, uh, or ownership slash front office work uh, go. And we're going to get to that because we have three interviews today, but we also have some major storylines that you put your analytics to uh, and try to figure out exactly what all of this movement in the NFL means. So that's kind of sum it up. Yeah. All right. You, uh, you can follow her That's at always. C Freeland. That's F R E L U N D because I have an Australian voice on my Siri when I say call. And for whatever reason, I always put people's last name in because we have, uh, for whatever, my, like my iCloud in my phone, all my kids' names, like everything merges. So if I were to put Cynthia in, there'd be like nine Cynthias or you something between my Cynthia's? wife and my two da- my three daughters who have phones. Like there's you know a, that many people. No, I think Cynthia? there are two other Cynthias, though, wow, in my phone. Wow, that's a lot. So I always go, so when I say call Freeland, the Australian lady <laughs> on my Siri goes, call in Freeland on sale. <laughs> and there's just, I don't know, there's something about it. It really is just a great, <laughs> if you have a chance, I would highly recommend the Putting female Australian in. voice right. on your Siri. It just, I don't know, it puts a smile. Call in Freeland. There's nothing about Australian accents that doesn't make it's the best. Happy. It's the best. It is best. the best. Anyone, like if you're great with a regular accent, you add an Australian accent, it just puts it way over the top. To this day, like in, in 60 Minutes is my favorite show of all time. My, my favorite <laughs> 60 Minutes <laughs> quote <laughs> is uh, is from Hugh Jackman when he was asked about Les Mis. And they said, uh, you know, what, what led you to, to taking on the, the task of playing Jean Valjean? And he goes, he's the role of a lifetime. <laughs> and it's just the way it was said in his Aussie. All right, all right, I'm wasting time. Let's get right to it. Because we do have major uh, storylines. But by the way, the interviews, yep. Brad Stevens, yep. head coach of the Celtics. Playoff bound. Daryl Morey, uh, the general manager of the Houston Rockets Playoff team bound. with the best record in the yep. NBA. Yep. And uh, Kirk Lacob, the assistant GM, I believe, of the Golden State Warriors. Also going to the playoffs. Yes, defending NBA champs. So all of those interviews still to come. But first, let's get to some of these big storylines. And let's we'll start it. with the biggest one, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. And the constant pushback from the front office and the ownership group of the Giants. But then you get the leak of, ah, yeah, for the right thing. Uh, yeah, close to the situation yeah, You want to blow us away, man. Make his godfather offer. There Two is a first round yes. picks for our buddy Indeed. OBJ. And you hear the comparisons, you know, a Percy Harvin deal, a Joey Galloway deal kind of thing is what they are looking for. So why don't you set up, because we often hear it's kind of hard to have a wide receiver make a huge impact on the success or failure of a team. <laughs> what did you discover when you dug into the numbers of how valuable OBJ is? If there was a wide receiver to command uh, two first round picks or whatever, you know, crazy sources close to the situation rumored um, amount that he could, he could tender. It would probably be OBJ. He's that dominant. (laughs) Yes. Um, First of all, the catch and run, which is like how he made his, Hey, you saw that in New York. So first of all, you know, like five yard pass and he somehow takes it 70 yards, but that's a lot to do with three steps drops in New York because their O-line was suspect, so Eli Manning has to get the ball out of his That's euphemizing it. Suspect. He was being nice. It's a little more than suspect. We're in the offseason now. (laughs) So that came out of necessity, like those slants, those, you know, you like I went back and watched almost every route from last season, and obviously only played four games. He only had two uh, completions of over 20 yards last year. I mean, again, it's four games, so that's a really small sample size, but you, when you watched like deeper drops and tried to project him on some of these other teams, so the two teams that have kind of come out of you know, whatever speculation, Rams and Browns, probably because of their both teams have been very active in in free agency. So who knows the degree of truth to each one, right? Right. But if you look at those short passes, so like let's map those short passes to the Rams and then let's map what kind of Jared Goff's projection looks to be. So for me, like, you know, short passes and taking to the house, just like they did on the Giants, great projection there. So it would also be the opportunity to take over that Watkins role that Sammy Watkins now goes to the Chiefs. So, you know, Robert Woods did it too, but those deeper drops, the five and seven step droughts, like 
goes or, you know, whatever, nine routes, whatever you want to call them. So when you looked at last year and you saw the Rams, when they had like seven or eight man projections, like max protect, only two wide receivers running those deep routes. The reason you do that, you need more time for the play to develop. Then you watch to go back in time to see Odell Beckham Jr. run those routes. And you're like, oh, that'd be nasty. Be a heck of a match. That'd be. Yeah. And, and I guess the interesting thing about the Rams, too, is you, you hear and, and I do believe it to be true. And it should be true. As you said, he is the, the rare uh, wide receiver that can make that big of an impact on a team. I don't know if they have enough. Remember, they don't have a second-round pick this year because of the Marcus Peters trade, right. and they have a third. Um, right. They have multiple fourths. Well, so I don't know if— saw Jared Goff start to do those max protect last year, those seven, five, sure. seven. He actually kind of takes eight-step drops sometimes, and he just a little extra shuffle there, which is which was a good—like, you know, first year, Jared Goff, we saw a totally different— It's a disaster. Now, now we, he, the, he got that chance to do the slow roll evolution, kind of shorter passes, and then got progressively harder passes in his kind of arsenal— so I actually do think it would be a pretty nice addition, and I think you know based on they have a they'd be it'd be a lot in one year. So you're saying Super Bowl year. The problem is is they led the league in scoring last year, 29.9 yard or 29.9 points per game. So it'd be hard to project much more scoring than that. But if you look at their look, let's look at their wide receiver roster: Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, okay, Tavon Austin, Josh Reynolds, Farrell Cooper, like. If yeah, I mean, they're looking for the right. jump from Josh Reynolds. That's right. why they figured that LaMarcus Joyner was more valuable to franchise, and also the money-wise, 11 versus $16 million on Sammy Watkins. Um, but it's clear the impact that, that – and, and I guess if you want to make that parallel of Sammy to OBJ – it's clear what Sammy did. I mean, you're right. talking about, what, nine red zone targets, yep. seven of them convert to touchdowns. Right. The middle of that field was always open for yes. Todd Gurley to receive a lot of those passes. So that is an important position Absolutely. for them to figure out in that offense. Stretching the field in that way, it did open up Todd Gurley. And if you if you add kind of the evolution of Robert Woods, Robert Woods was a strong – like he had a very strong good. year last year. Cooper Cup also emerged very strong. So you add an Odell Beckham Jr. to that, yeesh, like yeah. that's a scary offense. Let's go to uh, the team that our colleague Daniel Jeremiah keeps pushing because they do have the most draft capital. Uh, if, <laughs> if you really want to make a run – they also have the most – well, not anymore, but they did have the most free agent capital. Too. Certainly, and, and they still do to some degree. I mean, yeah, when you yeah, have $100 million do. dollars in salary cap, yes. Dollars. So, it takes yeah, a while can, to spend that. You can spend a lot of that, but they the Browns, spendy with that. they have one and four, they have 33 and 35. Um, so, as, as our colleague Daniel Jeremiah points out, why don't you trade four and 35? Now, if you're the Giants, you have two, four, 34, 35. That's a pretty good way to start rebuilding if that's what you want to do. But Dave Gettleman has not suggested that's what we want to do. But let's play the game. Let's okay. play the game let's of they take that deal and the Browns still have pick one. They still have pick 33. And they add Odell Beckham Jr. to Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry. Wouldn't it be funny if then they took Saquon Barkley and then the the, the Browns would be like, wait, we did all this <laughs> exactly. and we wanted Saquon Barkley. Exactly. Um, so really quick to level set, they did re-sign Josh Gordon for only 790 k But if he gets cut before June 1st, that goes to zero. So there is a lot of, you know, like their wide receiver roster has a billion wide receivers listed on it right now, but there's no, you know, Corey Coleman's still there. He's figured Yeah, we forget about Corey Jarvis Coleman. Jarvis Landry, obviously, but he's a slot receiver, so it's a little bit different. Um, but, you know, ultimately – this wide receiver core could use a huge upgrade as well. So there's if you had two guys, let's say Josh Gordon works out. Let's say you get 2013 Josh Gordon. I'll just say this. I had um, the Browns played the Chargers. I want to yep. say it was Gordon's second game back. Yep. He was the most dominant receiver I saw last year. The yeah. bar none, the most dominant receiver I saw um, and they had some pretty damn good receivers on the schedule last year. And I, it was so much so that I talked to Casey Hayward after the game, and he made a great – it was probably the best play he made all year. Uh, he swatted away a pass in the end zone. And, you know, he's probably given up four inches to Josh Gordon. And I, I mentioned, I said, hey, that might have been your play of the year. I know it's the Browns, and you beat him pretty handily. He goes, without question, the toughest cover I've had so totally. far this season. So he is – if he's got his head right, and you think about him on one side and OBG on the other, my God. No, that would be ridiculous. So if you – these are two game breakers, right? So you have a game breaker and you add the slot receiver with Jarvis with Landry. Landry. So that could be ridiculous in terms of explosive plays. I thought it was kind of interesting. I went back to see how many plays of 20-plus yards the Browns had. Obviously, passing plays of 20-plus yards the Browns had last year. I thought it was going to be low. They're actually 13th. Tied. 
That's interesting. Fifty-three. Trying to think of where. Well, I know Njoku had a couple big ones. So right. uh, and that and then we, we didn't even mention him, right? You're adding a super athletic. There, there's also we forget about because it took him a minute to develop, but yep. once he got rolling through well, that second half of the season. And then by the way, you added like I think the sneaky like low key one of the best signings of all free agency was four million dollars for Darren Fells to give you a tight end that's yeah. gonna actually block. What? That's amazing. Not to mention with Joe Thomas leaving, uh, oh, get yeah. that blocking tight end, and they signed two tackles. They did uh, sign two tackles. It's going to be hard to replace way, Joe not, Thomas, no not question. Gonna, they're not going to replace Joe Thomas. Yeah. Like, I mean, sorry. Like, no offense to the guys that they brought on, who are not very happen. good, but it, the, you're not going to replace Joe Thomas. So OBJ on the Browns. OBJ on the is a great thing. Ridiculous. But even if, let's say, so I ran, I like kind of ran scenario analysis. Obviously, all right, so Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor, we think of Tyrod Taylor as not a deep passer. Go back in time, 2015. Actually, he's good at deep passing. He's just not a high volume passer. So you don't see it as often. But when he very efficient, he's a very efficient deep passer when he has time to do it and when they call the place to do it. But he's never been in the, you know, he's always been in the bottom 10 in terms of passing attempts per game so you never really you, you just it tricks your mind into thinking he's not good at it when that's not the case it's very accurate deep he's passer a, he's a very top 10 accuracy deep passer just not when it comes to volume so it you you kind of don't see it very often yeah i think the the conservative tag that gets stuck on on tyrod isn't his necessarily his unwillingness to push it down the field it's the red zone for whatever reason 100%. when they get into the red zone 100 he just but here's, here's you know the thing. The funny he, he's comfortable taking three the funny part about that is, and you're right, but also, and then when you look at, so Tyrod doesn't turn the ball over. We're going into this in a minute, but like Tyrod's a low, he's not a guy who turns the ball over. Yeah, I think right? least of any quarterback the last three years. You're I, right. I you read my article. Thank you. I did. Uh, <laughs> Darn it. And, and it's a but, heck of an article, by the way, that we'll get to in a minute about the Browns. And 50% of his turnovers were in the red zone, which means of the four last year, two were in the red zone, which is funny because like. Yeah. If if you look at other, if you want to say fifty, make the, that that's the quintessential <laughs> make the numbers work for you. It's not you know, a fifty percent of his turnovers no, in the red zone. No, Tyrod's but then you a dig good a quarterback. Yeah. Like Tyrod's a good. Like I'm not gonna tell you that Tyrod's gonna start. Like he's not Patrick Mahomes with that gunslinging like eighty yard whatever that we kind of sure. think of, right? But Tyrod's a really like twelve to sixteen. That's where he is, and he's a good fit for the Browns. He's a I mean, great that's, that's fit a, for that's the Browns. That's a good fit for that team, totally. Um, considering how many turnovers they've had to deal with. All right, so those are the two, top two teams, it seems, for OBJ. Let's get back to the Rams here, Cynthia, yep. because my God, you want to talk about how about leaving a little something for the rest of the league? I mean, they pick up two of the best corners uh, via trade to keep to leave in Marcus yep. Peters, and now uh, when we record this on a Thursday, just a few days ago, they make it official and Dominican Sue on that one-year deal, adding him to the best defensive lineman in the league, Aaron Donald. Um, give us an idea of what Wade Phillips now has to work with there. Well, obviously, interior pressure comes to mind. I mean, that's the that's kind of what you're getting in here. So I looked at PFF just for a quick rundown here, and they have them both ranked in the top 10 over the past four seasons in terms of total pressures amongst interior defenders. You have that's a nice sample size. It, that's a, that's four a, seasons worth. Four seasons. Um, Donald is like one, like rocket ship one. And then, like, everyone else is, like, a little bit light. But so, like, let's put it in context. Like, Aaron Donald is a generational player. And Domicong Stu is excellent, elite. But Aaron Donald's generational. So just that's kind of the difference for me. Um, the thing that is interesting is, so the where people are going to line up, right? So Aaron Donald and Domicong Stu, which, by the way, means House of Spears. Do you remember that from the draft? I always remember that because the, the Lions took him. So And Domicong means House of Spears. House of Spears. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, we're out of Nebraska. Anyway, well, there we go. So both guys actually lined up in similar places last season. So they lined up over the guard. That's the outside point. shoulder of the guard, kind of your uh, your three technique. It is the three. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. So and they're shifting to a three four is what they're yep. saying this year with Wade. Yeah. So you have to change. You have to like kind of map where they're going to play. So if you look to see last year, Sue moved around a bit more than Donald did, and it, let's. I mean, I, I'm. You know, yeah. it's it's. Figures Both of them in four threes keep, at the right. time, moving up and down, yeah. Right. It figures that Donald be more in the kind of the same position, like kind of that same spot, and then Sue will probably – Kind of be the zero to the yeah, one guy. Exactly. So he'll probably have to move, and that's that's great because, I mean, ultimately maybe Sue will get more sacks, but like it'll be more effective overall, especially against the run because what you – and I know it's your favorite stat because I remember during the season, like they're amazing, like, you know – Stopping the pat like pass rushing like Aaron Donald you don't get better than that but then you're like but what about against the yep. run run it right at him on, that's how you that's how you negate down? it right what happens on first down it's your favorite um, Rams obviously fifth worst overall versus the run so it, you know and Dominic Cooks do figures to like kind of take the Michael Brockers role and like elevate that I, I 
again, because it's my bias, but when, when it happened, I just I go back to what was the narrative of the season for the Chargers, which yep. is when you have two dominant players on a defensive line, you can't double two guys. You can't. It's, just, it's not possible to do that. So one of them is always going to be in single coverage, and that's the first thing that came to my mind. And, and the most – most one of the times they were most effective is when Gus Bradley would stack yep. uh, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa next to one another, and it was just look the hell out. Like, and and that's that's the formation ouch. that Sue and Donald are going to be in the entire right. game. They ouch. will be right next to each other, right next to each other. And the cool part, it's actually kind of um, a mirror to what we talked about all season long for the Chargers too. When you have nasty pass rushers and you back that up with really strong defensive backs, like obviously. Peters and Tlaib came over. That's Those were publicized. But, like, LaMarcus Joyner, he was franchised. That kind of flew under the radar. He's nasty. Oh, he would have been the really best safety good. on the market had yeah. they not franchised and him. And then Nickel Roby, and then you got uh, Nickel Roby Coleman, and then Josh Johnson. And, like, these are good players. Like, Josh Johnson had a great rookie campaign. Yeah, the one thing they'll have to do is figure out the linebackers. Nasty little gr- they're, you Correct. Know, they're going to have to fit. And, and at 23, they very if they keep that pick and the OBJ thing doesn't come to fruition, at 23, there are some good linebackers in this draft that they may be able to Absolutely. replace. And that's what Wade Phillips said. He said, hey, look, or I think it was Les Snead who said it. He said, it cost us Alec Ogletree and Robert Quinn, but – we kind of and, and it's funny kind of the way that the the NFL because you know oh it's passing league and I'm doing the air quotes now um <laughs> it is all about the secondary right. and your sub packages tend to be six to, I see so we see so much six defensive back now yes. dime formation yes. you know that you six defensive see, back uh, out there so you rarely see say see base defense in the defensive front yeah. either so you're always going to come up with these like tricks to kind of counteract like pass catching running backs stuff like that is, is what and that's why at. bringing up Nickel Roby Coleman's important because He's going to be out there a lot. You know, the, right. now you only have to basically figure out uh, two or three. You know, you can get that extra rush end, yep. uh, two linebackers. The, the middle of the field isn't as important with all those defensive backs out there. And those defensive backs are made so much more uh, effective by the pass rush yep. that, that Donald and Sue create. So for me, I went back and, you know, just to, again, level set here. Last year, the Rams were 14th on third down percentage. You know I love third down. Sure you do. Um, I think they're going to, you know, top five, top three, like we saw with the Minnesotas and the Eagles, things like that. Um, and they were 13th in passing yards allowed. I think that num- I think those numbers go way down. All right, last one. Um, big story before we get to these interviews. The uh, when you get to Orlando, the coaches, for those of you that don't know, do something called the coaches breakfast and you get peppered with questions. Uh, You sit at a table. Maybe you got some baked goods uh, or some powdered eggs or whatever. You pound those down. I feel like we should map like what they eat to like. Yes. And then but it's it's your standard kind of uh, banquet room, right? They're sitting at a round table. It's got this yellow linen cloth and uh, you got a bunch of microphones around you. And it it does feel like you're just kind of spitballing. It is a much more casual conversation uh, that the head coaches are having so Jay Gruden says uh, the Washington Redskins offense with Alex Smith is quote without a doubt better end quote he has to say that obviously you're not going to tell your front office they made you worse all right (laughs) but what what I want to know Cynthia with your analytics is the Washington let's let's forget about Alex Smith okay and let's just talk about the offense as a whole is the Washington Redskins offense as a whole better this season than they were last year yes considerably here's, here's here's a difference number one main thing look at their injury report last year exactly Brrr, everyone was on it Trent so Richardson, hi well their whole offensive line welcome back they, yeah. like oh you need an o-line to play football <laughs> got yeah. it Wait, that's a good one so part you know trent williams I, oh, sorry trent williams yeah sorry um paul richardson's the new yes, wide receiver new wide receiver yeah that's why I, anyways so long story short Here's here's how it nets out. Now, is it overall better if everyone were healthy last year to everyone healthy this year? Okay, that's that's where different we're, conversation. That's a different conversation. But I so I took the chief answer there and said yes, right. just because everyone's healthy or presumably. But you do like the Paul Richardson signing. I love the Paul Richardson signing, and I love the Alex Smith signing. Two reasons. First reason, so. Kirk Cousins, obviously, we know he signed twenty-eight million, uh, reported twenty-eight million guaranteed, three years. Right, hundred percent guaranteed deal. I think right. he gets what, like eighty-four, eighty-five million bucks. Right. A, um, Alex Smith, something like eighteen point four this year per over the cap, which is kind of our best outsider view of what his cap situation. So that's ten million dollars. You can get your team in a nice place for an extra $10 million. I see what you're saying. Alex Smith plus $10 million. Well, How you're valuing it is Alex Smith plus $10 million versus Kirk Cousins. Right. So gotcha. the, the the amount that you you know got worse because you're Alex Smith is actually, to me, in a lot of ways, you can argue you can, you're getting better because in the if you look at Alex Smith, so first of all, Alex Smith um, has about like a third of the, so sorry, 
half as many turnovers in the past three seasons. That's where the third came in. Um, 20, uh, 25 for Smith, 47 for Kirk Cousins. And if you look where those are coming, red zone. We talk about red zone turnovers. Alex Smith takes care of the ball in the red zone. You also look at some of the short passing and some of the attributes that you have on this team that came from or that came that are similar to what the Chiefs had. So Jordan Reed, if healthy, is kind of a similar tight end to Travis Kelsey. So the the learning curve could be shorter with that. Um, Doxson with the short passes. Alex Smith had a, a many years of being really, really good at executing shorter passes. Doxson took a lot of his passes, almost almost a half of his passes. Uh, receptions were within 10 yards. So uh, the point I'm just going to I'm going to interrupt because okay. I got to be honest with you. What when you say Doxson, I ha- it's opening day today. I can't help but just think Doxson. You know, the uh, the wiener dog <laughs> and the fact that I'm going to go to Dodger Stadium a little bit later and Dodger I'm going to have dog. a Dodger dog. Oh, and I'm so uh, I just got, it's just, it's, uh, I never really thought of that, that the way you pronounce his name, D O C T S O N, is also like D A S C H U N D. Doxon. Yeah, I think that's it. So, all right. Dodger dog. My bad. No, you're Just, it just hit me like a, like a, like a bullet right, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I've I've uh, kicked you off track. Where no, were we? Oh, good. Josh Doxson. Uh, listen, I like the Paul Richardson signing. I think he has a lot of upside. We're going to see. That's one where, like, if you're looking for, like, people to target for fantasy next year, like, see if you can, like, kind of keep him on your radar when your friends seem to have him or wherever, you know, when you're on NFL.com and, like, wherever he ends up. So ranking. you buy the, hey, this is your Tyree kill. Paul Richardson, lightning quick. Um, he is lightning one quick. of the faster guys in the league one is of, is kind of what Jay Gruden maybe envisions of how he wants to use them and give Alex Smith as a weapon. So my problem with Tyreek Hill is that he's he he had so many touchdowns that it was that's hard to like touchdowns are harder to predict like receptions and targets are better proxy okay so for me the receptions and the potential or the targets and the potential receptions that's gonna be Tyreek Hill now, now do you bust that for as many touchdowns that's hard to say but the you know the kind of volume prediction yes okay Touchdown so you say volume. better better okay let's uh last thing just real quick before we get to the interviews uh go to nfl.com and read cynthia's piece on it's john long. dorsey and the Sorry. browns it's uh it's wordy it's uh it's a long form i think <laughs> Listen, uh, it's, this is the first time i've written 1400 words. i was just gonna say it's at least a thousand words and probably plenty more so yep. 1400 words on what you discovered, uh, very similar, you know, it had the same feel as the pieces about um, about the process in Philadelphia and Sam Hinkie yes. and how even though the Colangelos are in there, they're essentially benefiting and still to some degree using the process, and that's what you found in Cleveland as well. Yeah, and ultimately, what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is that whether or not they're intending to like like look analytics, that word is probably pretty polarizing. If you're walking around in Berea, right? Like you're you probably don't I don't know. But the point is, is they're using strategies that are actually kind of very relevant in terms of data insights. So what they're doing and what's what we've seen so far has given us a big clue as to what we're going to see next year. And I think that I think it's I think it's a cool kind of like look if if they depending on which quarterback they ultimately select they could be doing a really smart thing by kind of like look like if you look at Tyrod Taylor's dimensions even they're very similar to that guy in Oklahoma Baker Mayfield, yeah. yep and if you look at you know Baker Mayfield has different upside than Tyrod Taylor but even if you think about like the configuration of seeing over your guards like these types of things are they project for more success Come on, Santa, you know they're taking Sam Darnold they're taking Sam Darnold okay. they are they're taking Sam Darnold you think so yeah I do I do, but I I've said it from day one. I think he's the best quarterback in the draft. Here's what I think's going to happen. I think they're going to tell everyone. I don't. That, I'm not disputing if he's the best quarterback in the draft, but I think they're going to like tell every. They're going to like play this game of like, where who are we going to take? Sure. Today we like Josh Allen. Today we like this. Today we like, and then at the last minute they're gonna be like, you know what? We're taking Saquon Barkley. Oh come on! <laughs> they're not taking Saquon. They are not taking. That's Saquon. what I think happens. I can't imagine and John Dorsey, who drafted Kareem Hunt in the third round, taking a running back number one overall. I think they'll bait the Giants into like some something, like to be, like make them think they're getting Saquon Barkley, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I yeah, know." Now that would be bold, <laughs> and it would be very Browns-esque. All right, so uh, let's get to the interviews. You uh, had a chance to sit down with Brad Stevens, yep. Daryl Morey, Kirk Lacob. We'll start with uh, with Brad Stevens, head coach of the Boston Celtics. Uh, I noticed some things on social media talking about uh, how he also employs, and it's a big part, a big theme of your conversation with him, the do-your-job philosophy of the New England Patriots. 
Thank you for your time. It's so awesome to be here yeah. with Larry Bird. I'm glad he joined it's pretty us. Pretty cool, huh? Today, yeah, yeah. His shoes are gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> So football fans can absolutely relate to matchups and kind of right. adjustments based on matchups. How, how do you look at that, like before or in-game and make adjustments accordingly? Well, I think you know the strengths of your team, what the, each individual does well. And there are numbers for how guys guard, how much they foul, how do they do against shooters, how they do against drivers, how they do against posts, how they do against rebounders, et cetera. But at the end of the day, a lot of times that's based on your eyes telling you what that matchup looks like. Sometimes you can have all the numbers in the world and it would make sense to avoid a matchup, but then you see it in person and you're like, that makes a lot more sense now to attack it. And so on both ends of the floor, you're looking for things in your prep to try to exploit, um, but understanding that um, those may get tweaked based on the game, based on how the game is going, based on what you're seeing. So every winning and successful coach that I've talked to about this talks about that negotiation of what your gut's telling you right. and kind of a pragmatic approach. And something that, you know, football, you have 16 rolls of the dice to see what happens in each game. You sometimes get to play people back to back. And sometimes mm -hmm. you get a chance to, at least now as we approach the end of the season, potentially strategically rest players or strategically, you know, do things differently in order to ensure a win or kind of maybe look to the next game or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. How do you kind of like strategically, like just give us a little bit about like when you're playing a back-to-back, -back, how do yeah. you strategically adjust? Well, managing players' minutes over the course of the long season is real and it's difficult. But the way that I go about it is I go into a game with our rotations written down on an Excel spreadsheet. And so I know what when guys will come out in an ideal sense. Sometimes you get thrown curveballs like injury, um, fouls, um, guys not playing as well, guys playing great, and you, and you ride a hot hand a little bit longer, especially when your second unit comes in and extends a lead, you might ride with those guys longer than you normally would or maybe that you had prepared to. Um, but it's all to play the best you can that night and in 82 games. That's, so it's a balance. It's yeah. a real balance. And it's tough because there's a lot of times where, you know, you want to put Kyrie back in the game with 11 minutes on the clock in the fourth quarter, even if he just came out a couple of minutes before that. But you know that over the course of the long haul, A, your second unit needs to play through some of this, um, and they need to show that they can. And then B, um, it is a long year, and, and I think, you know, Parcells used to say this, your job as a coach is to manage the season. So when you're managing the season, I want to talk about timeouts, because coming out of timeouts, no team is better than the Celtics this season. How do you think about strategically when to call a timeout, or what play you're going to run after timeout? Well, the plays to run after timeout are based mostly on prep prior to the game. So that's basically film work prior to the game. Now, occasionally you'll see something, a matchup that they've gone to, a way they're guarding an action that's new to what you've seen and then you flip a play or you make sure that you put that in the back of your mind for later on in that game. Um, I keep a sheet that I make that I write down that has eight to ten after timeout plays that we can go to at any time. Um, and so we and we and we do that. We, we draw up something new almost every time and the reason being is because we've seen on film how they've guarded and you know, who we have in the game and where you want them coming from and which hand you want them going towards and, and everything else. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but, you know, we do ask our guys to do a lot of new things out of timeouts. So in addition to the Excel spreadsheet, which I love that, that mm -hmm. makes me so happy, yeah. and the prep you do with film work, how do you use data insights? Like, I mean, I, I did a little research on you, and mm -hmm. looking back, it seems like even from Butler, you hired someone in a statistical capacity. I think his name's Drew Cannon. He's here. He's yeah. here. Yeah, he's here. He's, Get him. He's, in, he? he's in our analytics <laughs> department. Yeah, he, mm -hmm. he came with me from Butler. So right. he was, I always joke, like, Drew is his as smart of a person as I've ever been around. He's mm -hmm. tremendous with our front office, and that's where a lot of his work is done now. Um, did he play but basketball? He did not. Right. He did not. But he started working with Dave Tellup, who was doing a scouting service, and Drew started writing for Dave, you know, occasionally, and his would always be based on what he sees from a number standpoint. Mm -hmm. As the um, Nike Basketball Youth League started tracking things more, getting more statistics, he would write down, or he would write his 
analysis based on that. And he was the only guy doing it. And so I did some research and found out that he was, you know, occasionally writing for Dave, had a couple of things published in the New York Times for a hundred bucks a pop or something, but was generally living with his parents. And so I called him and said, hey, why don't you hey, come you work come for me instead? Awesome right. instead? Right. And so he ended up um, coming and being really a graduate assistant for us um, and now has come here with me and he's taken on whole new roles. But he and his group, um, led by Mike Zarin, our assistant GM, mm -hmm. have done a great job of taking a mountain load of data, which the you NBA has tons. the most, the right? Most. And so you just have so much data and you have to flip it. In, in quick time because you know you're talking about a back-to-back -back. you know we play this week we play Detroit on uh, Friday we fly to New York we gotta have a 30-minute meeting with our team on Saturday we're playing Saturday night what do we share in that 30 minutes it's got to be concise it's got to be well thought out it's got to be simplified and those guys do that for me so I have I go through a what I need mm -hmm. prior to the season before every game they create a packet of information that I get before every game and then the assistants and I break down only what is necessary um, to try to simplify the message heading into the game. And do the players, do they like this? Do they, like, does it resonate well, I don't, with I don't, them? You know, we'll use numbers um, in often, but, but we, we're not going to overwhelm them with stuff going into the game. Now Something the personnel, yeah, personnel <laughs> I think is really important. Um, which direction they like to drive, which shoulder they like to go to, where they're scoring most of their points, how they are out of timeouts, who they go to out of timeouts, you know, all those things. Those are all things that you can share with them um, as you get ready for a game that they're used to. That's part of our routine. Mm -hmm. um, and then it may be, okay, what are their trends when they win? What are their trends when they've been successful? What have their trends been against us? And what do we really need to prepare for? Because you can't stop everything on some of these teams. Like against Golden State, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, be there on every catch behind the three-point line with two people and take away their layups. And so you have to choose and you have to show why you're choosing that. So when you're, when you're working with the players in real time on the court, do they ever tell you what they want to run or how, do, how, sure. like how does that yeah no it's know? that's constant that's yeah. constant dialogue what they see um, football it's a little less what they feel and, well and you know what else we don't have stoppages like football right ours is more of a random exactly. game you've got to be able to be organized on the fly rather than play to play um, and I've spent a lot of time with the Patriots guys and, and spent a lot of time with the offensive guys and and um, it's funny because some of the stuff is pretty similar you know, as far as we're all trying to create a little bit of traffic to get an edge mm -hmm. to ultimately, you know, um, complete a pass or get, an, get a lane to the rim. And so for us, there's a lot of similarities, um, but, you know, we have to do it on the fly. And, right. and our guys have to be able to, you know, play with a clear mind, mm -hmm. which I think is a big part of this balance between, you know, if, if you're playing a simple game, with a ton of thoughts going through your mind and you're playing consciously instead of unconsciously, I think you're in trouble. Interesting. So I want to get back to the Patriots thing in a minute mm -hmm. because we might have a little something for you on that. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, I read a lot about your creation of culture and how you view this. And to me, it's really interesting to see someone who is more innovative and kind of data focused and then also talking about culture because often you read, you know, it's like this gut, we've always done things this way, we're always going to do things this way, this is how this goes. And that's like culture, right? Mm -hmm. And then you see people who are more innovative kind of looking at, they don't often mesh. So how do you kind of bring those two things together? Well, I think you use numbers to motivate. Mm -hmm. You use numbers to game plan. Mm -hmm. You use numbers to figure out a plan of attack. And if everybody's not on the same page, that doesn't matter. <laughs> so like ultimately it's all about getting everybody on the same page, making sure you've got a great locker room, a locker room that pulls together. And then those things can help you gain an advantage in a certain game and help you get over the top. But if you're, you know, you're dysfunctional, you're not going to work together, you're not going to peak together, not going to play hard enough. You're going to play defense then, probably. Then defense, <laughs> offense, whatever, then you know, I can throw all the numbers at the wall that we want. And it's, that's, it's just not, it, you've got to have the culture part. It's a big part of it. So a theme that seems consistent from you was from Butler where not, you know, not Duke and not, you know, these big schools where you're getting the 
access to tons of recruits and you know they're choosing between Duke and UNC and right. Kentucky right you, you had so much success reached two national championships back to back and then I kind of see that same thing with the Celtics in terms of you know it's more of a team like you've had some interesting pieces last year last year's team is very different from this mm -hmm. year's team how do you manage putting that teamwork together yeah, I mean, I think our front office has done a great job all the way throughout the years of creating a sense of purpose. I think the responsibility that comes with playing in Boston creates that, um, and I think that's real. Like, you, you're, when you're putting on a Celtics uniform, that's not normal. You know, you can look up in the rafters and see all the people whose numbers have been retired, and every one of them's won a championship. So that's a part of the um, culture. That's a part of the expectation. Everybody feels that responsibility, and I think that's a positive pressure. Um, that our young players all feel when they get here. You know, I think that certainly that could be looked at as a negative if you didn't have the right approach. Um, but if you have the right approach, who wouldn't want that? And and I think that that's what our guys are. Um, that's what our guys are motivated by mm -hmm. when they put that uniform on. It's really interesting. So I have this picture, mm -hmm. and it's a picture of you. And I'm curious, do you see this picture here? Yeah. So that's good. This this is your this is your picture, and yeah. I'm curious. How much time are you spending with Bill Belichick? Because I'm thinking maybe you're <laughs> starting to like pretty good, huh? become yeah. him. <laughs> well, you know what? We, as much as I can. You know, I think that you spend a lot of time with um, people that you really think you can learn from. And mm -hmm. so I have, I have taken advantage of going over there on a number of occasions, whether it's sitting through OTAs or practices or meetings, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to know Josh really well. Josh was kind of my conduit in there. And so I've watched him go through the court, you know, all the quarterback work and all the stuff that they do on the offensive side of the ball. And then to get a chance to spend time over there has been—it's been really helpful. You know, I think when you walk out of there, um, and I've said this before, you feel inadequate <laughs> as a coach That's because terrible. because you're like their culture, the way that they move from drill to drill, the the how how they pull together, how connected they are. Um, it's it's special, um, and, it, and it does not happen everywhere. And then when you leave and you bring it back here, kind of how do you think about, because look, there's, there are huge parallels. There's only 30 people who have your job. There's only 32 people who have Bill's job. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of navigate like taking the lessons there and then applying them to something that is so fluid? Yeah, well, it's so different, um, the yeah. game. But, right. you know, and, and the one thing that the Patriots have always been great about is they don't beat themselves. And, you know, they, they pride themselves on that. And I think that being that plus the idea of doing your job or the idea of everyone has a role to play and being a superstar in your role, those are all things that coaches are talking about all the time. They just do it better than everybody else. You know, and, and that's the bottom line, which means that it's a constant theme. It never ends. It's always talked about. It is, it is something that is always harped on, and it's, and it's a fabric of who they are, not just something that's on their wall. And I think that that, that stands out when you're over there and um, you know again I'm young in this thing of coaching um, but I was really fortunate because at Butler I inherited a team that would have won 30 games without me like it was just a special group we had five seniors they were all 23 years old it was as old as you know it was older than two of my starters now all of them and so they were a special special group and we just tried to stay the course, be the best that we could, get better every day, and let it take us where it took us. And, and when we were really good, that was the formula. And then when we got here and we had some ground to cover with regard to getting better, um, that still was the formula. It's not, it's, I don't think it's overly complicated. I think being able to stay in the moment and do it is the hard part. Absolutely. So my last kind of question here, I don't want to take up, I would take your whole day talking about all of it, Thanks. but I don't want to take up your whole day. On a personal level, I want our viewers to hear something that when they're watching on the screen, and maybe they're more of a football fan, but they're watching on the screen, and what's one thing about the Celtics that they should know? Well, I think, and we've said this publicly, we've said it privately, we'll say it in our meeting today, we're at our very best when our guards are flying around and rebounding. So okay. when you see our guards fly in on the defensive glass, and bigs are blocking out and they're fighting for position and you see a guard swoop in above them and take the ball, that's when we're locked in. That's when we're engaged and that's when we've been really good. It's been a great sign. One of the small signs that you can really point to and say that's when the Celtics are playing well. When the guards are getting rebounds. When the guards are flying you, in and rebounding. When they're flying in that's and right. rebounding. That's so. right. And you can, 
That may be hard to uh, like visualize right now. Nope. But it'll be easy to see. It'll be easy to see. That's right. Thank you so much for You're your time. Welcome. I really appreciate it. So we keep the basketball theme going with these interviews. Uh, you got three of them. Daryl Morey. And you not only did play the comparison game with uh, one superstar he compared to another. That, by the way, because I didn't give him any prep time on that. He just he just had it ready. Top of his head. But Top also, head. you discussed something that I think a lot of us uh, round ball fans would love to see, and that is shortening the season and how we can make that happen. So here is general manager of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey. This is Cynthia Freeland coming to you from the Listen Live Podcast Center presented by Bose. At the 2018 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, I'm here with one of the the conference's co-founders, but you may know him as the Houston Rockets GM, Daryl Morey. I know him as a fellow Northwestern alum, right? That's yeah, a good one. Absolutely. <laughs> and someone who I so really you, admire. So you were a math major? Well, I was. A, I got my MBA, and then mm -hmm. I did the Master's of Predictive Analytics. So oh, it's cool. a lot of math, but not cool. yeah, not like a math major per se. I did do finance. But ah, that's that's math, that, right? That's that's definitely math. <laughs> Econometrics too. Yeah. Your background, really quick. You went to Stats Inc. out out of college, and then you were a consultant. Yes. Consultants are confusing things to a lot of people, but ultimately you get to do lots of cool jobs in various places, right? And yes. that's how you ultimately made the connection with the Celtics. That's correct. And yeah. then what? Yeah, and then, uh, oh, after the Celtics, so I was there four years, and uh, we actually were in the midst of our worst year when I got the opportunity to interview with the Rockets, and, uh, you know, I flew down at 9, and I had the job by 3 that afternoon, which is totally insane, and Chris Wallace, who's the GM of the Grizzlies, had the best line. He said, only in the NBA would a, one of the worst teams have two GMs go run other teams uh, in the same offseason. So. so that was 2007? Uh, six. 2006. Yeah. Got it. And then since then, how has the organization evolved in terms of analytics? Yeah, I mean, we've spent years sort of hiring people, honing, and, uh, you know. But not me. You never hired me. I should I have did, never did applied. Apply? No, I have never that applied. That would have made it hard for me to hire you. I know. We sometimes. do do outreach efforts, so I think we messed <laughs> up there that we didn't find you. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, there's still a chance. We, 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 you know, we're we're very diverse. I would say one of the areas where we are most challenged in diversity is on the gender perspective. We have a very talented scout, um, and we've tried really hard to hire a code you know someone on our tech side and i see it as my own failure that we haven't hired that yet so well, i can help you with that yeah. i know a lot of young people they've Very all been good. introducing themselves Perfect. to me at this conference right. which is great and Very i actually good. really love that yes. um so our football fans we used to talk about strategy so on this pod we're a little different because we use analytics so that when people are watching with their friends they can you know when they're having a, an adult beverage together they can be like mm. hey did you know blah and one of the things i think basketball fans would say if when they're watching a rockets game it's about you know hey this daryl morey guy he there's this thing about like you know three-point attempts uh mid-range shots are not great can you explain why well yeah that's worth more yeah <laughs> <laughs> um smart no, yeah thanks you know northwestern and all so um yeah, no, it, it, it's really not that hard. to. So basically, it turns out after about five feet from the hoop, p people don't shoot much different in terms of the percentage of makes from five feet out to about 30 feet. It drops, but it's a very shallow drop. So uh, if you take a shallow drop and then all of a sudden make it worth 50% more at one point, it makes sense to stay behind the line so it's See, not that complicated. that's perfect i love yeah. that you've also been credited with making just a ton of stats like become real things right so can you take us through that a little bit like true shooting percentage perhaps ah sure so i mean it's it's pretty simple it's just again maps to winning and what people see so what matters is how many points you score before the other person gets the ball and so of course uh, if you shoot a three, you don't need to make it as much as if you shoot a two. And if you get fouled and go to the line, you you know you get free throws for that. So true shooting percentage basically encompasses all that and says how many points do you make uh, before the other team gets the ball and puts it all on a on a two point shot scale. So a true shooting percentage of sixty percent says that if you factor in threes, twos, and free throws that you make six, it would be like if you shot a mid-range shot at a 60% rate. So See, that's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, it's like talk data to me is our yeah. 
theme. It's a great hashtag. I know. I Maybe know. Maybe the best I, hashtag I've seen. I know. I, I cannot take credit. Our MIT, the amazing students who run this. No, came they, up whoever with that. came up with that one, they need to go to a marketing firm and be like, I know. I, Trade that's market. me. That's me. I did that. <laughs> exactly. I did that. Yes. Um, it's so edgy. You know, it's, it's very it's edgy. It's like borderline, but like hilarious. Yes, I exactly. love it. Um, so when we talk about, I've read a number of places where you talk about the NBA playoffs and being one and done as opposed to series where you have, you know, five or seven games to determine the outcome. NFL people, we know all about one and done because that's all we got. How can you explain, you know, your theory on that for the NBA? The NBA should be one and done. Uh, It's much better. Do you think there should be fewer games in the season overall? Yes, uh, absolutely. (laughs) What's the optimal number? I don't know if there's an optimal number. There clearly isn't. Um, but uh, I, I, I would like, um, for me, I would do like uh, the Premier League and and play every team twice, so 58 games. That's what I would. That's what I would do. And we would make. Everyone says, "Oh, you make less money." No, if we'd make more money with more games, we'd play 250 games. We you don't. <laughs> yeah, um, I would. We would make more money because the TV ratings would be higher. You know, no one's saying, "Oh, the, the you know what the NFL needs? They need 32 games to make more money." So, all the arguments on why fewer games makes less money to me are ridiculous. So, you got this one player; he's pretty good. Yes, you know, probably. Well, really well you got good. two that are really good, but this one that I'm particularly okay. talking about—the beard and everything—that's the one I'm yeah, talking he's about. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, when you're gonna evaluate James Harden, mm-hmm. what do you, what would I look at like as an outsider? Let's say I'm a football he evalu- fan. He evaluates he evaluates me, so oh, <laughs> I don't really he? evaluate. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean he's so good. When when you're that good, I mean he's a Hall of Fame level player. Absolutely. Um, it's really more about how do we help him and how. How, how I do my job. I, we're mostly just happy he continues to like our team. So, so how do you help him? Uh, all the yeah, that's literally all I think about. So, what are the right <laughs> role players? Um, uh, obviously, uh, getting Chris Paul here, he was so excited. He, he was more excited than me, which was amazing. You know, if you think about it, I hopefully will have a, a very long career. I've been fortunate enough to last as long as I have, fifteen years. Um, but you know. Players only get a short; they get a much shorter window. So, um, get you know, he knew that adding Chris was going to give him his best shot in his career, and he was very excited about that. As was I, but he was one level higher than me. This is this is a we're we're doing this on the fly here. So I'm curious if you had an NFL comp to James Harden, like if you were going to say who is he in the NFL in terms of you can do it like importance to team or something like that. Aaron Rodgers. Oh well, there we go. Yeah, I so, like that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people. I mean, because like I mean, if I'm if, if, if you ask volume, no, but if yeah, and if you ask most fans who the greatest quarterback is, they'll answer someone not Aaron Rodgers, even though you can argue for Aaron. Or it might be someone in this town. They'll argue possible. for maybe the guy in this town. Yep. Um, and so that's true in our sport too. If you ask most fans, they're going to name a player on a different team that I'm not supposed to name. <laughs> um, but you know. Right there, and and Green Bay Packers fans would say Aaron Rodgers is the best, Absolutely. right? And they'd have very good arguments, and it's very similar here. We're, you know, our guy has got the highest odds to get the MVP this year. We believe he's the best player in the league. Uh, so it's very and and to your point, Aaron's uh, uh, yeah passes a lot. Their mm-hmm. offense is very pass oriented, uh, as is James. Uh, so I I think it's I think it actually works really well. And uh, I was born in Wisconsin, so it's. So, so it's it even fits. better. Yeah. More Midwesterner. See, we have more connections ah, here from Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So yesterday we got a chance to You're see. You were a tourist lo- location for us in Ohio. Yeah. You would advertise. Tourist. Come see the amazing they, We Michigan. still do. Pure Michigan. <laughs> it's like this big campaign. Yeah. Northern Michigan's nice. Like Until you, you get, get past, to Detroit. Yeah, stay yeah. away from there. <laughs> stay away from there. So. <laughs> Unless you're playing in the basketball, you guys are fine against them in basketball. Yes. We, but they beat us this year. One of our losses. Yeah. Um, so yesterday, you got a chance to have my role right now, but for someone who ah. basically is probably another goat, right? So President Obama he was... He is the goat. Right? Yes. So he was here yesterday, and you, like me preparing for you, I, like, you know, we have these things in common, you know, I I was nervous. How are you kind of going into Obama, I preparing to interview him? I was just a him? panic, panic, full-on panic. Um, yeah, I... That's not my first job, so um, you know, uh, you know the president. He uh, he likes working with like we we were actually gonna have a professional moderator would have been preferred, but he likes having 
the people behind an event or be the ones. Because the reality is the folks who saw it, I mean, he's just going to go. Like, he's going to make it a good event no matter who's asking him questions. So he actually likes – this is what they told us. He likes to get to know the people who are behind the event. So uh, that's how Jessica and I ended up up there. And then, yeah, we – Jessica is the other co-founder of the Sloan Analytics Conference. Correct. Uh, who mm-hmm. who runs the Patriots. But, well, she was. Now she's running her own independent company under the craft uh, group uh, called Kager. So, anyway. I like that pun. Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. So, in, in finance, Kager means compounded annual growth rate, which is like a way to think about, you know, how good your business is. And her her business is, it's a K yeah, it's a K, K for craft. Craft. Yep. 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 So if you, it's 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 pretty good. It's one. actually like it's awesome, and you're the first person I've ever heard got it. That's, I get that's it. That's great. Yeah. Well, because you did finance, <laughs> that's great. Um, so yeah, it was like we started with about fifty questions. Um, they they. they <laughs> I know. Wait, you started with fifty questions. Yeah, just like that's I, amazing. I, if ideas. you're at the conference, you'll understand why that's funny. Yeah, we'll no, tell no, you in a I, ideas for questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we were in consultation with, you know, he has people around him who know how to make things great. You know, they would say, you know, these are the kinds of things maybe aren't as good to ask, right? They, they were, but they were very open. He, he can answer anything. Um, and then we narrowed it down to about 20 and then the night before, and this is why my poor wife was uh, up late was they said, well, we'll let you know. We see you have about 20 questions. You should just pick your best six because he's, he's just going he's gonna to take it to where he wants. So find your best six. So we're like, oh, my gosh, we got to get down to six. We ended, up, we ended up narrowing it down to about 10. I think we got through eight or nine. So, yeah. So it was, was you definitely didn't need 50. No, <laughs> no. I, for me, up on stage, uh, it, it didn't seem, you know, his speed – you know, he, 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 he emphasizes things in a way that makes it so engaging, but it, you know, it's, it's less content per, per second to use a content efficiency rating or something. Yeah, no, he was, um, he was great. And you talked about a lot of stuff. But I didn't notice that on But stage. you didn't need to reset him, re-tee him. Right, right. We didn't right. need to go. Well, people in the audience said like they were, you know, they weren't used to his speech pattern. And uh, but on stage, I didn't notice it. So it was people after were telling me this. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. So glad to be here. Amazing conference. You did such a great job. And one more to uh, get your NBA fix. Assistant GM of the Golden State Warriors. And, oh, what do you know? There's a prison story in here, as a matter of fact. (laughs) We, uh, We will take you to the folks that are incarcerated. So here is Kirk Lacob, assistant GM of the Golden State Warriors. This is Cynthia Freeland coming to you from the Live Listen Podcast Center presented by Bose at the 2018 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Kirk Lakeup, how was my presenter voice? Great. You Great. You like, sound very pro- – you could do promos, movie <gasps> promos even. That, where's, where's my agent? It's, I think he's right here now. How are you? I feel very, very lucky to be sitting here at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference with my friend and also the assistant GM of the Golden State Warriors, Kirk Lakeup. Thank you so much for the time. How are you? I'm good. Thanks Thanks for bringing me. And I think I still have a little bit of energy left. I, it is exhausting here. It's, it's very exhausting. I landed at about 4.45 this morning. So, so you went with the red eye option. I not it was my it was it was an accident. Um, it was of my own doing. I forgot I had something else I had to do last night, so I had to go to our game and then leave early and take a red eye. Listen, it's it goes without saying how successful your team is. What is the role of analytics in your organization? It's um, this is actually a, a perfect time to talk about it. We were having a major issue um, in the first quarter games. Now the same lineup was in the third quarters too, and it was doing great in third quarters really, really horrible in the first five minutes of the first quarter. So over the All-Star break, Steve Kerr sat down with Sammy Gelfand, our manager of basketball analytics, who works for me, and he said, Sammy, we've got to figure this out. What's going on? And, and a stat that Steve actually talked about in his pregame con- press conference was that in the first five minutes of games last year, our defensive rating was about 100. Okay. The first five minutes of games this year, 115. Okay, so really quick, because we have primarily NFL listening audience mm-hmm. on this pod, but they do love numbers. So you want the lower number. 
that's one yes right. defense so less defense exactly. less offense more so when you talk about offensive efficiency you want that number to be high and when you talk about defensive efficiency you want that number exactly. to be low so if you go up 15 that is a bad thing that is a bad that 100 to 115 is a large percentage jump um it's it's really bad and i think for to, to give us a little bit of a of an understanding like we were in the top three i believe in the league last year in defense and for an entire game we averaged about 100 so to be at 115 is is really bad um and, and steve cited this as we were going into the game started javel mcgee and we got off to a good start for once um and then luckily the the team kept rolling we were able to win the game but um, I think that's that's a small example and a very, very recent example of how we're trying to use analytics to, to better ourselves. The thing that's interesting to me about your team is the fact that not only do you have these so efficiency in basketball, basically just what we talked about, offense high, defense low. You play at a fast pace. Pace in basketball, pace in football is so different. Pace in basketball makes a huge difference. How many possessions during a game a team averages, a high possession, high pace game. That's You guys are always in the, near the top of the league. But you're also really efficient. So typically math-wise, if you have a, a fast pace, your efficiency goes down. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of maintain thinking about like play at a fast pace and be super efficient? Yeah, typically there there's a curve, and once you hit a certain pace, you kind of level out the possible efficiency you can have. Um, that that was the standard thought until about four years ago. Um, <laughs> when is, what happened? Oh yeah, you guys started winning like and, all and the championships. And then we started hoarding them. Yeah, and Steve Steve came in as the coach, and he said, "We're going to play fast. We're going to play fun." Um, and I think what happened is is people didn't realize when we played that fast, we could get incredible. We couldn't just take bad shots and play. We could get even better shots. Um, you know, when I was playing basketball in high school, it was always, let's, we can get that shot anytime. Let's swing in and get to the next option. Well, when you have Steph Curry, you have Clay Thompson, a wide open three at any point is the best shot you're going to get. So <laughs> if it happens really early, that's fantastic. And the more of those you get, the better you are over the long term. So, um, yeah, we've, we've kind of reset the, the efficiency uh, curve there. And it's, it's really fun to watch. Obviously, that's not necessarily the right way for everybody to play. It depends on personnel and the way you want to set things up. And I think teams tend to try to copy whoever is doing well. Um, but recently we've seen teams who finally figure out that be the best version of yourself. Right. And, and that's how you can be. Don't try to copy somebody else. You won't be able to best them at their own game. So to take one step back again, just to kind of give the terms to our fo- more football-focused mm-hmm. audience, we, when you talk about small ball, right, mm-hmm. that was kind of the trend. And when you talk about people copying a trend, small ball is, is probably what you're talking about. So can you just explain to us what that means? Yeah, it's it's actually a funny term. Um, it's a funny term <laughs> because small ball. You would think it means all the players are really small, and and the reason that you probably think it is because you're playing with a lot of players who can pass and dribble and shoot from deep. Um, we really just kind of reverse the roles of a lot of our players. Um, we we instead of playing inside out and kicking out, we played outside in. I in some ways I've always thought it was similar to like when the West Coast offense mm-hmm. came about mm-hmm. in, in the 80s. Um, or if you see more of this aerial attack yep. today, um, it's about spreading people out. Yes, it's and about it's space. About space and not just horizontal space sometimes, but vertical space. Um, that, that actually is a term that I know has always been popular in football. Vertical spacing became a hot topic in basketball a couple of years ago. Um, the ability to throw the ball over the top of the defense instead of having to throw a bounce pass down or create a back cut. Um, the ability to throw over the top and, and really have people come out to you at the three-point line has, has changed the three-dimensional spacing of the game. I once had a TV person tell me that one of the ways to think about small ball is like the number. So like your point guard's a lower number, a one and two. You just have more people playing a lower number position, right? right? Instead of fives and fours, you're like oh, a lot of threes and like some twos and th- you know, mm-hmm. keep it. So that's kind of one way I think of it too. When you're looking at a player like Steph Curry or someone who didn't go to maybe, you know, the most prime university in terms of basketball prowess. It's not a Kentucky guy or whatever, you know, you're, you're looking at that. How can you evaluate the fit? You just, I mean, obviously you can't tell us all the secret sauce, but you know, just one way to evaluate that maybe could resonate with an NFL fan. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends in the NFL. Um, I was actually at the NFL combine. I think it was last year, two years ago, and, and was able to speak uh, with, with some other people on a panel and really enjoyed getting to know a lot of people in the NFL. And what I found, there's a lot of things you can pull cross-sport. Now, there's never going to be a perfect no. example, but I think there's a lot you can pull cross-sport. To me, and, and Bob Myers, our GM, um, he and I have talked about this a lot. We feel that there are kind of two skills, and we really believe these are skills, that are often thought to be intangibles um, and that they're hard to measure. And to us, those are IQ and competitiveness. 
I'd be willing to bet people in NFL front offices feel the same way. Oh, 100%. Um, I look at, you know, the Patriots have had an incredible run, very similar to the Spurs in basketball. They've been so good for so long, and, and obviously you have a star to build around. Um, basketball is such a star-driven sport because mm-hmm. you have to play offense and defense, and it's dynamically constantly moving. There's only five on the court. One star matters so much. In football, you know, most players can't impact every single play. I've always felt that the two positions that impact the game most are your quarterback and your head coach everybody else has to fit a perfect role so that that does mimic nba role players to an extent but i I read an article recently about how the patriots have done so well drafting these role players because they're highly competitive and they have a very high iq they don't necessarily hit them and when you're not getting the top pick every year or you don't have all the free agency money something you know about yeah, you you have to. <laughs> well, not the money part, but the, not the, the money. you know about yeah. the money part, but you don't know about the top. You're very familiar with not having a top hit. Yeah, you you have to find people who fit roles. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, the two skills that just seem to be not not focused on our IQ and competitiveness. And there are ways to quantify that. I believe. Mm-hmm. I've Absolutely. always felt that there are ways to quantify that. So, do you are you a Patriots fan then, or do you have an affinity for any NFL oh, team? No, no, I'm a Niners fan. Okay, just to be just clear, and, sure. and I'll and I'll occasionally root for the Raiders too. But I'm I'm a Niners fan. I grew up in the Bay Area. Were you happy about the Jimmy Garoppolo acquisition? Couldn't be more excited. I've been hitting up my friends at the Niners. Um, I, I spoke with John Lynch. Um, I've spoken with Jed York. Really, really excited about this. I mean, look, I'm an I'm an NBA guy who loves the NFL. I'm not right. a full fledged NFL guy, but in my opinion absolute like grand slam i'm very excited we're in the business of predicting things here so do i get your early prediction for perhaps you know conference or division winner let's go division i i think they're gonna go 10 and 6 and make the playoffs 10 and 6 that's that's my and that's without knowing west winner anything that's going on in the draft or free agency i love it all right, um, 10 and 6. We're gonna I'm going to come back six, at least. Yeah. Got it. All right. I love that. Hey, I actually heard something really interesting about you and I I'm, I'm I'm curious about this. Do you um play basketball with inmates? I do. That's I do. awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about this? This is sure. this sounds amazing. Sure. Um starting about 7 years ago, I got invited to play a basketball game on the weekend at San Quentin State Penitentiary. The um I believe it's the the only um the, the highest level uh, prison left in California. Um, and it's probably in the most beautiful part of all California, too. It sits right on the water facing San Francisco. But I, I got invited to play, and I fell in love with it. Um, I probably play seven times a summer. And a year into it, I thought it'd be really fun to take some of the Warriors' management. Um, and Bob Myers came. Mark Jackson was our coach at the time. He came bunch of our staff members a couple of our players came they didn't play in the game just to be clear they kind of <laughs> rooted us on or coached us right um role reversal yeah did they draft you what did you, were you drafted in an order did uh, they draft no 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 we, we came in as a group it was <laughs> it. it was okay. us versus okay. the inmates and um yeah Who won? uh we have won i think we're five and two or okay. four and two um we, we won the majority they won this last year um on a, on a late game i think it was like a, a bucket with five seconds to That's go awesome. something like that um I, I really, really enjoy it. You're out on the blacktop, and there's usually 500 people screaming on the yard. So and, fun. You know, kind of messing with you. Um, there's a guy who stands underneath the hoop and specifically goes after me every time. Uh, Perfect. Which is, I, I don't know, I love it. It's, it's, a great, it's great because it makes you realize that when you're on the playing field or on your court, everybody's the same. Absolutely. These, these guys are, you know, in prison, some of them for a very long time, and, and we're living this amazing life where we're with the Warriors and we're winning championships and you step on the court and you're all the same. And, and I really, I love that part of it. No, that's, I, that's an incredible story. And I, I'm so, thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. I have one more. So we were fortunate enough to visit with Brad Stevens and we asked him if there was one thing when fans are watching that they could be connected with the Celtics about. And he gave us something about like, if they're, you know, ones and twos are getting rebounds and that's when the Celtics are playing their best. Is there something that's kind of, we can crystallize as fans that obviously the Warriors are really good. So there's a lot lot of things that we could speak to for success but is there one thing when you're like in the zone and clicking that we can look to as fans and be like the Warriors are just on so first of all I need to say I absolutely I love Brad Stevens he's awesome I think he's the coolest cool I'm I'm a fanboy in a sense because I was college basketball when he was a coach and uh, I've gotten to know him decently well and I I whatever he says is is right Um, (laughs) you know with respect to us I I think we have an interesting team we 
When our defense really gets going, you can tell the difference in intensity, the way the players move, and that kicks our offense into overdrive. Mm -hmm. The funny part about it is, is as we've gotten better and we've, we've won over time, this sort of weird switch has happened where our offense actually feeds our defense, which feeds our offense. Awesome. Um, so what you'll see is when you know we're really playing well is when our, our defensive activity level really picks up and the, the switching, you'll see Draymond shove Clay Thompson into space and you'll see Steph, you know, right in there battling up against a 6'8 guy. And that's when you know we're about to go on a, on a big kind of our patented runs where we'll, you know, hit four threes in two minutes. And your assists go up too. I don't know if you yeah. noticed that. When your yeah. assists go up, that's like extra It means extra we're, we're taking efficiency. that first good shot. It's off a pass usually. Mm -hmm. It's the first good shot. We're pushing ahead and we're, we're taking it and making it. I cannot thank you enough for joining yeah. us. Really appreciate it. And, you know, I'm going to make a prediction that I will not be able to speak to you again until, you know, June. And there will be another set of hardware for you. So that that's my great. prediction. That would, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Good luck. Good Thanks. luck. Well, Cynthia, you certainly uh, kept yourself busy with uh, with all those conversations. Long yes. interviews, great answers, in-depth conversation, analytics-based. I like analytics how they based. all gave us something to look for when you're watching to, like, know when they're, like, in their, you know, kind of analytics or strategy stride. That was kind of a cool – I was, you know, telling us about, like, the first few minutes of – Kirk telling us the first few minutes of games and, like, when the Warriors are at their best, those first, those first few, five minutes are, like, really interesting and different lineups and shifts like that. So when you're watching the NBA playoffs, you can say, like, oh, well, Kirk. I want you to watch this here because uh, what you're seeing, that's what you do. That's what you do. You steal do. information you and it. you sound smart with your exactly. friends because exactly. Cynthia helps guide us and makes us uh, somewhat perhaps smart in the moment uh, like she is all the time. Well, that is a uh, another edition of Game Theory and Money. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, we're doing these every other week here for the immediate future, and then we'll figure it out as we make our way past the draft and into the uh, the OTA slash, I don't know, training camp and everything that's going to happen throughout this offseason. But for now, just know we'll be back in two weeks from today, this Thursday, opening day of baseball, uh, March 29th, with a few more interviews and more storylines likely surrounding free agency and perhaps the draft coming into focus. Go get your Dodger dog. I am. I'm going to get my Dachshund. My, uh, you know, that's how they got the name Hot Dogs. At least that's the common story is that uh, I believe it was a New York – well, I don't know what paper it was, but one of the New York cartoonists for one of the papers didn't know how to spell Dawson, and he was on deadline, and he was doing the ad for the – that's what they called him at the Yankees uh, – at the at Yankee Stadium, Hot Dawson Wieners, I believe is what they were called, and it would be a picture of a wiener dog inside of a bun. So oh, I remember that picture. Hot dog, because he couldn't spell Dawson, and that's where they, uh, they believe I'm the etymology of the term I'm uh, glad that dog. spelling had to do with yeah, like, right? a food Instead of Hot Dawson, we uh, – right, Dachshund, I should say. Dachshund, not Dawson. Dach is what it is. Okay, that's going to do it for the uh, the Game Theory and Money Pod on this year, March 29th. Thanks so much for downloading, listening, streaming. Uh, however you consume this podcast, we appreciate it, and we always appreciate you leaving a review uh, there with Apple Podcasts and sharing it through social media. And a big thank you to Emma VP for uh, Emma. speaking of uh, Dachshund, by, by the, the way. By the way, Emma killed it in Boston with these interviews. I bet she did. Yes. She kills everything. Oh, thanks, Cindy. You're welcome. Emma Sarfine. There because, you, you know, Doxin. I'm just... Okay, that's it. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>